Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, it is Mother's Day, and I am here today to tell you my Mother's Day story. My Mother's Day story. Uh, I am a mother of two daughters. My oldest daughter, Marcy, and her two children, my grandchildren, live in Indiana. And I have a younger daughter, Michelle, who lives in heaven. And our story today is about Michelle. This is Michelle, and that picture was taken on Mother's Day 26 years ago, 1995, the last time I ever saw her alive. Certainly didn't know that at that day. That day actually was a very delightful day. It was uh, uh, midday when my husband and I met Michelle and her boyfriend for lunch. They were treating me to Mother's Day lunch. Uh, Michelle and her boyfriend, Ray, had been dating for several months, and I had only met him one time. I had met him at Christmas prior, and when I very first met him, I was not at all impressed. Not at all. Uh, I, didn't ha- I had no desire for her to continue this relationship. He was, he was a biker. He is a biker. He's a biker and is just um, rough. He's a Bostonian, comes from Boston, so he talks super funny. And... <laughs> I just had no, no draw to him at all. And I talked to her about that. I talked to her several times about that. But Michelle loved Ray, and they stayed together. It is now Mother's Day, May 1995, and we're having lunch together at a lovely restaurant here in Orlando that no longer exists. And that day was very different. Ray was very delightful. He was very respectful of me. He was very kind. And it was apparent that he really cared for Michelle. So my opinion toward him changed dramatically. I think there's a picture here of me and Michelle. Yeah, that's the last picture we ever took together. You can see what 26 years does. I look very different today. Thankfully, 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 we have uh, photographs so we can remember what we used to look like, right? Yeah. And so we had a wonderful time together. Uh, My husband took this picture, obviously. I took several other pictures that day. And it was such a good day. I was really excited about taking and dropping the film, the film off. Uh, to be developed, Um, and I was happy to see those photos, and I still, of course, still have them to this day, because that was a very memorable day for me. Wonderful time. Well, Michelle was very um, involved, much more than I ever knew. I didn't even know until many, many, many years later how deeply involved she was in drugs. And Ray was, as well, involved in drugs. And their relationship actually was consumed with drugs. And they were spiraling down a path that I had no understanding of at all. It was getting darker and darker and darker for them. And a month later, June of 1995, I was invited to minister at a church in Port St. Lucie. The church was pastored by friends of mine. I had known these people years before when I lived in New York. We went to the same church together. I moved to Florida first. Ultimately, the husband received a job transfer, and 
they moved to Florida to Port St. Lucie and started a church. And I visited them often. I was there this particular weekend in June to minister at their church on Sunday morning. The arrangement was I was going to come on Saturday, spend all day Saturday with them, spend all day Sunday, minister at the church, uh, also uh, spend Sunday night, spend a day together on Monday and come home Monday night. That was the plan. And I was getting ready to go, looking forward to that. It was a great time. I had talked with Michelle on the phone earlier in the day on Friday. All was well. Didn't have any hiccups or any indication of any kind that there was a problem. And Friday night, before I left to go to Port St. Lucie on Saturday morning, I had a dream. I had a very vivid dream. I had a very vivid dream. And in this dream, I sent both of my daughters plane tickets to come and visit me. And I saw them have their tickets in the dream. And they lived in two separate cities. They, they did actually live in two separate cities. And they were packing their suitcases to come to Florida to visit with me. And it was so strange because they would put things in their suitcases, both both daughters, the same story. They would put things in their suitcases and things would jump out as soon as they put them in. And Michelle got to be a little cleverer than her sister and she would hold the lid of the suitcase and open it just enough to shove something in and then slam the lid. And she packed first and closed her suitcase and the dream changed. I'm now standing on the tarmac of a large airport, very large airport, and a large jumbo jet comes toward me, taxis toward me, and parks. And I see employees of the airline bring the roll-up stairs to the side of the plane so people could start to come off. And people began to come off, many, 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 many people before I saw my daughters. There were several people on this plane. And they were coming, and they were going past me, and then I spotted my daughters. And Michelle, the younger of the two, got a little ahead of her older sister and handed her ticket to me. I was watching as all of the people, everyone on the plane had a ticket, and everyone had a suitcase in their left hand. Very odd. But she reached to hand me her ticket, and I reached with my right hand to take the ticket in the dream. And before I touched it, a very large, bright, bright white hand came over my shoulder and took the ticket. And I turned around and I looked, and all I could see was blinding light. It was blinding, but it was not painful blinding. It was welcoming blinding. It was peaceful blinding. And that was the end of the dream. Well, I got up, of course, in the morning, ready to go to Port St. Lucie. I'd asked the Lord for interpretation of the dream. I knew it was a spiritual dream. And all the way down in my drive, I just kept asking the Lord, tell me what you're talking about. What are you wanting to say to me? I don't know what you're saying. What are you talking to me about? When I got to my friend's house, I talked with them. They actually prayed with me about the dream because they knew that it was not disturbing but concerning, you know, because it was so vivid a dream. It was so vivid a dream. We spent Saturday together, had a wonderful time, got up Sunday morning, had a wonderful service at their church, went back to the house because the wife had prepared a wonderful Italian dinner for me. And after lunch, I was tired. I am not a person that lays down and takes a nap. I, I rarely do that. 
But this particular day, I was just tired. And I asked them to let me take a nap. And actually, they were relieved because they wanted to take a nap. <laughs> but I went to the daughter's bedroom where I was staying. They had two children. And in the short time I was there, probably less than 40 minutes, I had that exact same dream again. Detail for detail, the exact dream. Well, I got up, we talked about it again, we actually prayed about it again, and all that we could come up with, and, and this was just so obvious, but this was all we could come up with, that God was talking to me about my children, my two daughters, Marcy and Michelle, and probably more about Michelle. Well, that was the total deduction we got from that dream. Well, now it's Monday. And Monday, we have decided that we're going to go to Port... No, I'm sorry. We were in Port St. Lucie. We were going to go to Fort Lauderdale for the day to shop. We had already planned that. We were going to go to shop and have lunch, have the day together, the, the, their two children, themselves and me. We were going to have a good family day. I considered them family. They were that close to me. And so we did that. We went, and uh, the last stop of the day was at a Christian bookstore. And I had made my purchases, and I was ready to leave. Everybody was ready to leave. We're headed to the car. And on the way out, I see a display of cassettes. Now, some of you won't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but 26 years ago, they didn't have digital downloads or CDs. They had cassettes. For those of you that are young, it was a little box. It had tape in it, and they could put music in that box. Well, there was this display of a particular cassette that I had been looking for for a while. The year prior, my husband and I had been at a Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir concert where they were recording a live album. And I was looking for that album. I kept looking for it, kept looking for it, kept, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. But there, as I'm walking out the door of that bookstore, is a display filled with cassettes of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And it was that concert. So I asked my friend just to wait a minute. I grabbed a cassette. I went back. I paid for it at the counter, and we went home. This is Monday. We have dinner. And I am now, after dinner, in the bedroom with the daughter, the young daughter, that I'm sharing her room, and we're just playing. We're playing Auntie Linda and Jennifer. That's what we're doing. She's messing with my makeup, playing with my jewelry. I'm putting th things in her hair. You can see the picture. And the parents come into the bedroom, and they ask the daughter to leave. And when they ask her to leave, they shut the door behind them, and they said, Lee, who is my husband, Lee is on the phone, and he asked me, asked both of us, to stay in the room while you take the call. Well, I thought, that's strange. That's really strange. And my first thought was something had happened to his mother. Lee's mother, Mama Olive, had been staying with us for a while because she had been very ill. And we were just watching over her and making sure that she was okay. So I thought he was going to tell me something happened to Mama Olive. But that's not what he said. He said, Lenny, what I have to say to you is the most difficult thing I will ever tell you. He said, Michelle is dead. Ray shot her to death. 
Yeah, I hear your sighs, and I, I still feel that. I can still hear that conversation. I can still sense that emotion. Mm. I told my friends I needed to go home, and they were wise enough not to let me go home immediately. I stayed there several hours while I was visiting with them. And I was taking time to just go before the Lord. At this point in my walk with God, I, I was a minister of the gospel. I had been with the Lord for many years. I had developed a long and fruitful relationship with the Holy Spirit. I am telling you without a shadow of a doubt, that is the catalyst for how I could do what I'm going to tell you I did. Without a good relationship with the Holy Spirit, we do not have the equipment we need in times like this. The power of the Holy Spirit to bring you through anything at any time is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. Well, I drove home, and in the car, I popped that Brooklyn Tabernacle cassette in the tape player. And for those of you that are old enough to remember cassettes, you know that if you wanted to hear something twice, you would have to hit rewind. You had a little rewind button, remember? You ha if you heard something you want to hear again, you had to rewind it. Well, I never hit the rewind button, but the, the cassette played f uh, until it got to one song. That song was called, It's Not In Vain. And for the remainder of my drive home, that song played over and over and over as if it were on a loop. Totally impossible to do that naturally. And during that time on the way home, Jesus sat in the car with me. He sang, it's not in vain with me. <laughs> And yes, he did. And the, some of the words of that song, I should print them out. I, the, some of the words are, what you do for Jesus Christ is never in vain. And he just assured me, Linda, I have her with me. I have her with me. I have her with me. The girl's father and I had divorced when they were very young. And as just a setup of God, it's another story, total setup of God, the only place in town where I moved, I moved away from where we'd been living, and the only place in town that had room in their school for my daughters, I wasn't going to send them to public school, was the Assembly of God Church. Carmel, Indiana, Assembly of God Church had a school, a wonderful school, and it was the only place in town that could take my daughters midterm. And so they had been raised up in the, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They had been raised up in faith. They had been both accepted Jesus. They'd both been baptized in their younger years. And Jesus reminded me of that seed. Now, remember I told you, Michelle was addicted to drugs. She was really out of order. When she passed away, it was not a Jesus loves me, this I know lifestyle. But the Lord himself reminded me that his seed is incorruptible. His seed is incorruptible. His seed is incorruptible. For those of you that are praying for children that are doing their best to go to hell, if you have deposited life in them, 
that seed will bear life. That seed will bear life. Amen. Amen. So I get home and um, my husband is there, his mother is there, and we cannot even find words to talk to each other. There's nothing to say. How do you, what do you say? Everybody's so distraught. We're almost speechless. We don't know what to do. And so we just sort of held each other, cried, um, and mom went to bed. Uh, bed for her was the pull-out couch in our living room because we didn't have a spare bedroom. She was sleeping on the pull-out couch. Lee and I went to bed, but I could not sleep. Can you imagine what would be going through your mind if just a few hours earlier you had heard that your child was gone? What would you be thinking? Well, I thought all of that and then some. I couldn't sleep. I, I was tormented, I was sad, I was confused, I was praying, I was asking every why and what question I could possibly ask of the Lord. And I finally just got up at five o'clock, about five o'clock, and went into the kitchen. And the kitchen is open to the living room where mom was laying on the couch, so I didn't turn the light on. I didn't want to wake her. She'd been having trouble sleeping. I wanted her to rest. And I just stood in my kitchen, just beginning to sense this intense rage starting to rise up in me. This intense hatred was starting to bubble toward this man that had taken something so precious from me. And it was just beginning. It was just starting to come. And oh, I tell you, when you're faced with those things, you have to cut them off ASAP. You can't meditate on those kind of things. You can't give them a moment of life. You can't give them any power of any kind, whether it's jealousy or hatred or, or anger or pride or whatever is rising up. You have the power and you have the authority to cut it off before it has any authority over you. And I was sensing this, this intense rage and into my kitchen walked that bright, beautiful, blinding, welcoming, peaceful light that had been in my dream. And oh yes, <laughs> oh yes. And this time he didn't stand behind me, he stood face to face with me. I didn't see his face, I, I saw an outline, I didn't see his face, but it was undeniable to me without any shadow of a doubt, I was fully persuaded I was face to face with God. Oh, powerful, powerful. And he spoke to me and he said to me as this rage is starting to roll, he says to me, Linda, I don't want you to be angry, I want you to be grateful. Michelle has been delivered from much. Well, I couldn't wrap my brain around that, and I'm sure you're having difficulty wrapping your brain around it too. My daughter's dead. She's been shot to death. She's in a morgue somewhere. I don't even know where she is. And I'm supposed to be grateful. Excuse me, I don't know how that works. I just don't know how that works. Now, you may not talk to God like that. That's how I talk to him. It's like, I, I, give me a break. I don't even know what you're talking about. But I knew those words came with such love. They came with such love. And right behind that, he said, Linda, I want you to forgive Ray. I want you to forgive him. 
Michelle's not been dead at this point, I don't think, 48 hours. Um, I found out the day after she passed. Um, so, no, it's not even 48 hours. So it's real soon. It's real soon when the wound is really raw. But I was a minister of the gospel, and I taught the Bible, and I believed what Jesus said, forgive, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, you know. He tells us, forgive our, uh, ask, forgive our debts as we forgive the debts of others. I knew that. I could quote it well. But in that moment, it was now, Linda, are you going to live what you preach? Are you going to live what you preach? And after a few moments, after a few moments, I was able to say, yes, Lord. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. I don't know what this looks like. But I tell you, I tell you, I trust you in yes, I will forgive Ray. And I tell you, instantaneously, quicker than you could even imagine, I was bathed in this amazing river of grace. I was absolutely saturated in this love I'd never known before or since. I was completely consumed with that light that was filled with hope and peace and joy and comfort. And it came with such a, a rapid response. It, it didn't take days. I, I, this happened really, 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 really quick. And I loved that moment. Instantly, instantly, all the sorrow, all the torment, I mean instantly, all the hell, all the grief, all the confusion, and every question was gone. It was gone. I was standing in my kitchen having just a wonderful, glorious time with the Lord. It was so beautiful. And I was basking in it, but not really long before the Lord spoke to me again. And he said to me, Linda, I want you to embrace Ray as a son. You think I didn't understand the first part. <laughs> I really didn't understand the second part. And I would love to tell you, I was a minister. I am a minister. This is what I do. I tell you how wonderful God is and how quickly he's going to come and help you. And so it's like, okay, now what am I doing here? It was that moment, that one moment, just face to face with the almighty God. I want you to embrace him as a son. I didn't do it super quickly. I, I would love to tell you that I was really that good and that I did, but I didn't. It, it took a while. I just, I, it was like, Lord, you're asking the impossible. And I could just hear him say, well, I'm good at that. I, I'm, I'm good at that. I'm good at the impossible things. And so after just several moments, I knew nothing else was going to transpire between the two of us till I answered that. I opened my mouth and I said something like this, I don't know how, I have no idea what this looks like, I don't know how, but I will embrace Ray as my son. Time went on, Ray had turned himself in. He had turned himself in in the part of our story that is so miraculous. Uh, after he had shot Michelle, he had gotten into his truck and roamed around. And by the way, all of our story is in our book. It's called I Find No Fault. And the way the book is written is I tell my story and Ray tells his story. He tells the spiral of darkness, the drugs, the depravity. He tells the story of how he got to the place he was and how he attempted suicide after he had, uh, had taken Michelle's life. 
uh, all of that is in the book. I, I felt this power of God to just embrace him in a way that I didn't know how. So when the lights, when the sun came up, I sat down at the kitchen table and I wrote Ray a letter. And I uh, wrote and told him that I forgave him, that I 100% released him of this offense against me. And I asked that he would come to the, a saving knowledge of the Jesus Christ that enabled me to do that. I was on staff at a church at the time, and they had a prison ministry, and the prison pastor came to my house and picked that letter up and delivered it to Ray in jail. Move, time moves on. Time moves on. I get to meet Ray's mother. Ray's mother lives in Boston, and she comes to Florida to see him and to take care of his house and things like that. And I met her there and developed a relationship with her. And she was the one that told me how I could begin writing to Ray. And that's how our relationship began. I began writing to him, and I don't know how many times I wrote that he didn't answer. I don't, I don't know, a few times. Uh, and I wasn't writing every day by any means. But I, every now and then, as I felt prompted of the Holy Spirit, I would write to him. I told him I forgave him. I never told him the Lord had told me to embrace him as a son and that I agreed to do that. I did not tell him that. But our relationship developed. We began to grow together in a relationship. After a while, we were able to have phone contact. And as a result of that, we just grew together. He ultimately began to start sending me on his own. Remember, I didn't tell him that um, I was embracing him as a son, as an act of obedience. But he began to send me Mother's Day cards on his own. He, the Lord was working in him as well. He began sort of automatically calling me mom. He just started calling me mom. This card is from 2012. The outside of the card is talking about how mothers always look through loving eyes and that they always have a gentle heart and there's someone you can always trust. And then the card on the inside says, um, through all your th the thoughtfulness she shows to everybody she knows, that uh, they learn just what it means to be loved unconditionally. And then he writes, this is what Ray writes. This is his handwriting. Uh, Dear Linda, this card says it all better than I could ever be able. You are a priceless blessing to just know you. You're more so because God blessed me with being a part of your life. My life is better as well as blessed because you are in it, P.S., you are my spiritual mom. God knows that I need you. And there's card after card after card after card. He sent, he sent them every year. I kept them all, every single one. The relationship was developing. We were allowed one contact visit before he was charged. Um, the, the state allowed me to have one contact visit with him and I went to the 33rd Street Jail. That's where he ultimately was brought back to. And um, we had one visit and we went in together. They brought him to me in a room shackled. His hands were shackled behind his back in a prison jumpsuit. His ankles were shackled. 
he looked like a beaten animal. I was so overwhelmed, because by now my heart is whole. This happens months after the event, before he actually is uh, going to go to trial. And we had a moment together, just the two of us. I asked the guards to please unshackle him, and they said, no, we can't do that. I said, please, unshackle him. And the guard insisted, I can't do that. I said, please, unshackle him. I won't hurt him, and you're here, he's not gonna hurt me. And so they just released his hands. We reached across the table and touched and cried and cried. And that cry from the depths of my being was not because I was grieving. I was healed, trust me, I was healed. But I cried from a depth I could not describe because I knew God was extracting that promise from me. I knew today's the day, face to face, with the one who took my daughter's life. Will you take him as your son? Will you take him as your son? Do you know in the story of redemption, Jesus died willingly. It tells us he gave his life. He did give his life. It's not something we took. He gave it. But in reality, he wouldn't have had to give it if it wasn't for us, if it wasn't for our sin, if it wasn't for our depravity, if it wasn't for our loss, if it wasn't for all of that. And how sweet it is that the Heavenly Father forgives us for creating the circumstances that caused his son's death. And yet he, the Father, is welcoming us as his family into his home, and we will spend eternity at his house. That is what redemption is. That is what redemption is. It's a powerful, powerful thing. When it came time for uh, Ray to go to trial, they were working to get a plea agreement, and the plea was awful. It was two choices. The charge was first-degree murder, premeditated first-degree murder with a firearm, and the only two choices were the death penalty or life without parole. And in that particular window of time, in May of 1995, Michelle died in June. In May, the state of Florida instituted a victim's right policy that is very common today, but it was brand new then, where victims of a violent crime could address the court when it came time for sentencing and charging. And I had the opportunity to go before the judge to ask, um, or to express what I wanted. Well, the judge already knew what I was gonna say because the attorneys and I had already been talking back and forth, the state attorney and his attorney, Ray's attorney, and they knew what I was gonna ask the judge. And that particular day in the courtroom, downtown Orlando, the old courthouse, uh, the, um, the judge looked over to a galley to his side, which was filled with law students. They were there to observe the court proceedings for the day. And he looked over to them before he let me speak, and he says, I want you to pay close attention because I promise you, you're probably never going to see this ever again. I have never seen it in my entire life. And I stood up. He asked me what I wanted, and I said, I want mercy. I want mercy. 
if you've ever seen any of these things play out on television and the victims are addressing the court, you never hear that. You never hear people be nice. <laughs> you never hear people be kind. And you never hear people speak as if Jesus were speaking. But I ask for mercy. And ultimately, to shorten the story, the state did change his charge. They had to change his charge because I said, I, I want him to have parole. There was no parole available in that charge. First degree premeditated murder, there's no, there's no play here. So they actually changed his charge. They charged him with, or they sentenced him to 37 years of which he served almost 24. Well, so where's Ray today? Where is Ray today? What's he doing today? Well, I like to say that Ray died. Ray died. Ray met Jesus Christ in prison. He met him. And the old Ray, the drug-addicted, violent, horrific murderer, died in jail. He died there. He became a new creation, just like every single one of us do when we accept Jesus. He became a new creation in Jesus Christ. And it is my honor to tell you that he is with us today. And I want to introduce you to my son, Ray. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are great in our lives. I am not the same man I once was. 26 years ago, the man I was was a bad man. He, he was a lost man. You know, people talk about hitting rock bottom. Well, I'm here to tell you I didn't hit rock bottom. I went through rock bottom. You know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I wanted to die so bad. I tried to kill myself three times. The Lord had a whole different plan. He was talking to my heart, but at the time I didn't know it. I didn't know God. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I didn't even know who the Holy Spirit was. You know, being a, an Italian-born uh, crib Catholic, um, I, I didn't have a relationship with God, Jesus, or Holy Spirit. So I wanted to die. So my idea was to kill myself. I stuck a gun, a loaded 45 in my mouth and couldn't pull the trigger. I took that same gun out of my mouth and pointed it at the ground and it fired. I said, okay. And I did it again, wouldn't fire. Again, I took it out of, my, out of my mouth and pointed it at the ground and it fired. Twice. I did it a third time, still wouldn't fire. Third time it fired in the ground. I said, what's going on here? I wanna die, I'm gonna die one way or another. I took all the bullets out of the gun, threw all the magazines in the creek. My new idea was to call the cops and have the cops show up. I'm gonna pull my gun out. I'm gonna point it at that law enforcement officer. And because he's a law enforcement officer, he's gonna do what they do. He's gonna shoot me dead because I'm pointing a gun at him. So I'm gonna get what I want. I'm gonna die because I deserve to die. That precious baby who I love so much and I will always love her. 
She's a big part of my heart. And it's my fault she's gone. And that was too much for me to, be, to bear back then. But it didn't work. God had a different plan. When the cops showed up, instead of pointing my gun at them, I just told them I think I killed my girlfriend. I turned myself in, told them where the gun was, my license. Um, they took me to the county jail, shackled me to an I-beam in Fort Pierce. And then Orange County came and brought me back to our 33rd Street Jail. While I was in that 30s, I just wanted to die. They said, how you doing? I said, I want to be dead. Just let me be dead. I deserve what's going to happen to me. And I took a life, so my life was forfeited. And I was willingly going to give it up. If they wanted to put me in an electric chair, I would have sat in an electric chair, strapped myself in and threw the switch myself. I deserved it. But God had a different plan for me. He said, no, no, I got a different plan for you. Uh, another inmate was walking by my cell and he said, hey man, he said, man, I got this Bible. You want this Bible? I said, what do I want a Bible for? I'll get away from my cell. I'm a biker, a heavy addicted drug addict, like mom was saying. I didn't have any respect for anything myself. Like I said, I didn't know God. And then the Holy Spirit was talking to my heart. And he said, all the answers to your problems are right there in God's breathing, living word. Because that's what it is. That's God's breathing, living word. It lives. It's alive. It's alive. And all our answers and all our freedom is right there. So when the guy went to leave, I said, hey, man, can I, can I get that Bible? So the guy said, can I give it to him? He goes, yeah. So the guy walked over. He folded it open and slid it under my door. And what he folded it open to was Psalms 91. I don't know if anybody's ever read it. If you haven't read it, please read it. Please read it, because there are so many promises in Psalm 91 that it, it makes a mountain bigger than Mount Everest. But every single one of them is true and real as, as you are, as real as you are, as real as you are. It's real. God is real. Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit, they all live in my heart. My life changed. I read that, Psalm 91. Went to Genesis, over to Job, and I was hooked. I said, this is what you want? I'm all yours. And he knows that God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit come first and foremost in my life, today, tomorrow, for all eternity. I'm his. And all I can say is this. We make the choice to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. He died for each and every one of us. He died if you were the only one on earth. If you were the only sinner on earth, Jesus still would have died, suffered, and nailed to the cross for you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you, brother. He loves you. How much does God love you? How much? He died. Does he think he's cute? He thinks we're cute? No. God loves us as much as he loves his only begotten son. We are equal with the Savior. Co-heirs to the kingdom of God because God loves us because he made us out of love. So I say this. The door in your heart has one doorknob. It's on the inside. So Jesus can come over and knock, but you have to open the door. Don't just open that door. Kick that door right off. Because that's what I did. I kicked that door right out of my heart because my life has a purpose because God has a plan for each and every one of us. I'm no different than any of you.
God has a plan for each and every one of us. He has a plan for you to lead another brother or another sister to Jesus because we need Jesus. Amen. We need Jesus. I want Jesus. I love Jesus. My whole life is about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I thank you. I love you. You're all my brothers <laughs> and you are all my sisters. And for all you mothers out there, happy Mother's Day because you have an attribute that comes straight from God. God's love is unconditional, just like a mother's love is unconditional. Amen. Amen. I love you all. Amen. Thank you. Amen. I, I say all the time that Ray is redemption with skin on. This is what redemption looks like. This is what you look like standing before the Father when you accept Jesus Christ as your son. Totally forgiven completely forgiven, totally forgiven. I can truly say, and I do say, I say it often, and I say it face to face. You know, I love you. I love you, Mom. And I find no fault in you. God knew I needed two moms. <laughs> and he gave me the best. <laughs> Our book is available in the lobby. I encourage you to pick it up. The story is rich. It is riveting. The back of the book has teaching on what real forgiveness is. So that if you're ministering to someone that is having trouble with unforgiveness or you're not getting over that hump, this will really help you. I uh, want you to know our message is this. Forgive everyone, everything, every time. Forgive everyone, everything, every time. Holding on to, yes, holding on to unforgiveness will kill you. It'll kill you. Refusing to forgive is refusing to live. It's refusing to live. And Jesus died to give us an abundant life. Let's all stand together. <coughs> I know that some of you are battling with unforgiveness. I know that some of you are hurting because you've been betrayed or wounded or rejected or stolen from or lied about. I know some of you are just crushed with the pressure of all of that unforgiveness that you just haven't been able to let go of. But I want you to know that the same grace that came to me that same river of grace that came and literally enabled me to totally not only forgive this man, but to embrace him as a son, bring him into my life. That grace is available for you too. That grace is freely available to you too. I want to pray for you. Father, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just ask you right now, Father, that you awaken every heart. And Father, any place in any heart that is darkened with unforgiveness of any kind for any reason, I'm asking now that you shine your light of grace upon that. And that, Father, each and every one of us are able to come and bring that to you. Bring that to you. I'm asking you to do that. Who, who are you holding unforgiveness against? Sometimes those people are already dead. 
It might have been a father or grandfather. It might have been someone that you knew in the past that's already gone. Is God going to require that you reconcile with them the way I reconcile with Ray? Probably not. It is really, really rare. But you do need to let go. There's a scripture I really love in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, beginning in verse 22, it says, And when he, this is Jesus, when he said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And then he said, Whosoever sins you remit, that word in the Greek means throw away, let go. It means release. So another word for forgive is release, release. He says, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. And who retains them? You retain them. You hold on to them. What I did in forgiving Ray was say to the father, I hold no charge against Ray for what he's done. I hold no charge. I received an amazing gift two days ago. I think they have a photo of it. Someone kindly sent me a hundred long stem roses. A hundred. They're all red except for 26 white ones that represent the uh, number of years Michelle is gone. Do you have that photo? Okay. Uh, have you ever seen a hundred roses in one place? A <laughs> hundred roses and 26 white ones for Michelle. Michelle still lives. And she still lives. And I believe with everything in me that the day that Ray steps over into glory, Michelle will be there to greet him. I believe that. Amen. 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 If you're hurting today, if your heart is ripped apart and you know that you're having difficulty forgiving, there's someone or multiple someones you need to forgive and you just can't get over it because the torment is still there. The pain is very real. It never seems to go away. God is here today to take that from you forever and ever. And I'm gonna ask you please to come forward for prayer. Altar workers, please come, come. If you need help getting over this hump, don't hesitate. Altar workers, please come. Sometimes you need someone that just has an anointing to jump over a hurdle to help you. And I can do that. Ray and I can do that, absolutely. We know the power of forgiveness. Amen. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.